Well, hi, everybody. I'm Kim Winter. I'm your host today. It's my pleasure to uh, be hosting David Ames from Zim uh, Thailand, the Managing Director of Zim Integrated Shipping. Hey, Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Kim. It's very much a pleasure to be here with you today. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us from Bangkok. And uh, we trust that uh, everything's going okay there. We hear that, uh, that uh, Thailand as a country is managed pretty well uh, compared to many other, many other countries around the world. So uh, well done to you guys. Thanks very much, Kim. Yeah, actually, today is, I, I believe, our 100th day without a, a domestic COVID case. So that's, uh, that's quite a milestone for the country. And I think, you know, largely within country, things have returned to a semi-state of normalness, if you will. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's really impressive. And I'm sure a lot of the audience have been used to uh, visiting Thailand over the years as a holiday destination. And I know that... Uh, both from a visitor and uh, I know from the locals will be looking forward to uh, getting the, the borders open again and uh, and the people of uh, Thailand enjoying having come, people come and visit them again. So, uh, so Dave, uh, Zim Shipping, one of the largest shipping companies in the world, want to give us, uh, before we get into Zim, um, perhaps a little bit of a, uh, a background on yourself and your journey through the supply chain. Sure, very much, Kim. Uh, you know, I, it's, uh, I began my career in, in, in container shipping 33 years ago. I was a management trainee with, uh, with APL based out of Chicago, spending most of my time in, in the intermodal division. So uh, that stack train, truck, uh, and then gradually moved out to the ports and spent some time in, in Vancouver in, in the port activity later then into Atlanta to work at the customer service center in Atlanta, handling Latin America, special cargoes. And after that, I moved overseas. I moved to Thailand in 1998, uh, handling the automotive logistics uh, piece of, of APL logistics at the GM plant in Rayong. We had a JIT operation with GM in Rayong, and that brought me to Thailand in 1998. From there, I moved into back into container shipping in Indonesia, where I was a managing director for APL in Indonesia. I then left APL and went into pharmaceutical logistics, which was a, very much a change of pace and very much a different product, which was really good experience. I, I worked with uh, Zulik Pharma, both in, in Philippines and in Korea. And then I took some time away from the industry. I came back a year later, moved back to Thailand, working for Taurus and Thai, which is a bulk ship operator uh, specializing in Handymax and Supermax bulkers, which was a great experience because that really gave me insight from a ship owner perspective, uh, which, was, which was really, really helpful. And then from there, I moved to Linfox, uh, which is an organization you're probably very familiar with. Uh, you know, it's a huge 3PL in, in Australia, but also a, a dramatic and major presence uh, here in, in Thailand, where we were running about 4 million kilometers a week, predominantly to support uh, Tesco Lotus here in, in Thailand. Mm. After that, I, I, left, uh, I left Linfox and I went to work for CMA. And then just a couple of years ago, I came to work at Zim. And Zim has gone through a dramatic change here in Thailand. It's been really, really a lot of fun and a lot of hard work to to restart this agency in the last couple of years. And, and I think we've done quite well. Sure. So, you know, I guess one of the big ticket news items um, have been, apart from the aviation sector striking all sorts of really rough weather uh, that, we, that our audience will be well, of, uh, well aware of worldwide, 
the shipping industry seems to have coped through 2020 pretty well with some fairly spectacular results coming out in recent weeks even uh, about how well some of the shipping companies and ocean carriers have done. How have you guys gone during the last six months or so? And how, how have you been managing capacity around that? Because that seems to be one of the really big issues that have been successful failures for a lot of organizations. Absolutely. I mean, clearly the, the shipping industry came under just such enormous impact. And, 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 and you know, I, I will say that, that, that almost all carriers took fairly swift action to reduce capacity and really rationalize the use of their assets, particularly early on when China was so dramatically impacted and everyone was kind of, it was, 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 they were starting to see ships sailing light. Carriers really were very quick and, and nimble to focus attention on the other origins, specifically Southeast Asia and the India subcontinent. And, and those locations were very much tested to produce volume. Uh, and I think something else that the carriers have done well in this instance is they've been very prudent about the, the gradual reintroduction of capacity. And, you know, we're seeing it now that we're entering peak season, we're seeing a lot more capacity come into the market, but it has been gradual. And there's been some, some, some retooling of some of the services that uh, make it better for carriers in terms of utilization. I think it's worthwhile noting that, that during COVID, there's been some really interesting developments. You know, you know, first we saw developments on the demand side where there was an increase in, in movement of what we would call more essential items, medical supplies, foodstuffs. We saw that demand really increase significantly, whereas we obviously saw less demand for non-essential items, automobile parts, which automobile parts is a huge player in Thailand. So that had an impact. Tires also, you know, Thailand's the fourth largest producer of tires. So huge issues fall down in electronics, white goods, you know, this all had an impact. And, and, and we certainly saw this in Thailand as part of the broader picture. And in 2020 in Thailand was already starting out as a rather anemic year for exports. Early in the year, volumes were trailing five to 7% below 2019. And then in May, May through July, it, it fell even further. We're talking 10, 12, 14%. Uh, finally back down to about 10% in July. This is below the 2019 number. Um, the Thailand's manufacturing sector decreased by over 14% between April and June. And that had a substantial impact on clearly the local economy. But fortunately within Zim Thailand, I mean, there's been management of capacity with carriers that are broader level, but even locally here in Zim Thailand, our volumes are up 22% over last year. Um, in a market that's down, you know, 12, 14%. It's largely because a couple of reasons. We've been, we've been very aggressive in the market uh, and, and we've specifically pushed on those commodities which have continued to move. Our key accounts have also been very, very supportive of us during this time period and we've worked hard to increase their share of business. And then one thing I mentioned earlier about the foodstuffs, foodstuffs have been very strong and, and the fresh fruit market out of Thailand has continued to be really robust. And, and reefer cargoes in particular have been very strong, particularly during the past durian season. And, and you know, durian demands a, a high price in China in the market. So it's a very valuable commodity to move. And we're in a fortunate position, I have to say, because 
both Zim and Gold Star Line have both quite young reefer fleets so that we're able to support the very sensitive cargoes. And, and we've got a, a very unique tracking notification, you know, 24 by seven type of support product called Zim Monitor, which really helps these reefer products and those customers that wanna keep a, a really close eye on, on their most valuable shipments. And that's really, really been a game changer for us, all of those things together to really grow the business despite you know, a, a very difficult time and a very uncertain time. So in general, the carriers, I will say, they've been very prudent and very active in managing their capacity against the changes in the market. And in our case, we've been very nimble to react to demand changes within the broader market. So it's been a very interesting time. Really? You know, that, it's interesting you, you talk about those, those changes and the disruptions and, and the way you've had to move to do things. Just a quick one. I mean, what percentage of your staff have you been able to have work from home during lockdown? Um, we all know that logistics supply chain is an essential industry in virtually every country. Um, but what percentage have you been had at home versus on the tools in the business? You know, for the first, when, when we started going work from home, we, we split it into team A, team B. Yeah. So we had for, for essentially operations, customer support, sales was 100% from home uh, because it was not necessary that the salespeople necessarily be in the office. Mm -hmm. So customer support and, and operations were 50% were in the office. Finance was 50% in the office. Uh, the counter activity where we, where we receive funds and we dispense paperwork, they remained in the office 100% of the time. Uh, we had certain protocols to, to ensure that we didn't have any cross-contamination and, and maintain the health of the staff. Um, however, we tried to go 50-50 with the, the, the counter uh, and it became difficult. Uh, it became very difficult, but I think it does it was kind of an eye-opener both for us and for our customers in terms of over-reliance on, on, on paper in, in the industry. Cool, so in what way, you mentioned customers, uh, good opportunity to explore that just, uh, just a little bit. To what degree has your, have you had to pivot or to, to change the way you deal with customers? Has there been more pressure in the ways that you've had to deal with customers given that it's harder to get face-to-face -face and, and how has your uh, customer-facing teams managed that? Um, no, really. I, I think, you know, by and large, we were already pro progressing down a pathway of more customer-friendly type of e-commerce tools, shall we say. And, and, and allowing customers the opportunity to, to dictate how they want to manage the relationship with us. Um, we've got a, a, a tool um, that we use to, to solicit a lot of feedback from our customers on, on terms of how they want the, their online tools to look. And that platform has given us a lot of, of feedback on what we produce in terms of e-commerce. So we, we, we have products like MyZim, EGSL, eZim, uh, that allow customers to submit bookings, shipping instructions, track their shipments, print BLs, all that kind of stuff. 
And, and now we've got Wave, which is our EBL product, which is a blockchain-based product uh, that's completely paperless to allow customers to really change how they, how they, they, they deal with their international shippers, ship, shipments and their customers themselves. Okay. So I think what COVID did was it moved both the carriers and the customers down this pathway faster. It, it accelerated the process to changing the relation, the, the method in which we deal with one another. The challenge was, is there are oftentimes, our customers do want to talk to people and they want to talk to people in their own language and, and, and they don't want to necessarily uh, always go online. Uh, occasionally we all run into issues that we need, we need expert help on. And, and so for that, you know, we provided our staff with the tech, technology in order to manage these, these customer relationships from home, you know, everybody had pocket Wi-Fi, laptops, the ability to access the system. There were technological hurdles, but they were resolvable. It, but it also had to change the way we manage these individuals. And, and perhaps that's, that's the greater ongoing challenge is, is how do you manage that kind of staff that's, that's very disparate. But, but I will say neither carriers in our case or customers are as afraid of this type of, of work environment. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's fundamentally changed the, the game. Uh, previously, we were, we, were, we were afraid of this kind of environment. Flex hours scared us. Uh, you know, work from home kind of environment scared us because we weren't prepared to manage it. And, and, and I don't think it's ideal, but I think certainly now we're better, we're better equipped to, to handle this kind of situation. Yeah, good. Well, thanks for sharing that. There's, there's yeah. a couple of big movements out of uh, trends that have mega trends that have been occurring in the carrier market over some years now. Of course, we've had consolidation between the carriers into the uh, the various confederations uh, and alliances. We've also had the advent of the of the mega ships. I, I can't recall how many containers you probably know to a, to a T how many containers will fit on the largest uh, container ship in the world. Um, but we've had those two big mega trends happening in recent years. What, what can you share with us about what it takes for a container carrier to be successful in, in today's environment and the environment moving forward? What are the big issues? Well, you know, <laughs> the, the, the debate about, you know, the, the, the 22,000, you know, TEU, 24,000 TEU ships, uh, that, that's been going on for time immemorial, right? I, I, you know, I remember when, when, when APL launched, you know, 6,000 and then 9,000 TEU ships many years ago, uh, they can't get any bigger, they can't get any bigger. Um, you know, there's kind of, there's two elements of, of, of what a carrier can do to be successful financially, and, and one is they need to, they need to acquire their assets, however they do that, whether it's, you know, charter or purchase, you know, build and purchase uh, at the right time. And, and it needs to be a type of ship that, and a size of ship that works very well for, for their network. Uh, and also they need to manage their, their fuel expenses uh, very wisely. But, but, you know, nobody can predict where the price of ship is going to go or where the price of bunker is going to go six months away. I mean, who would have seen bunker price 
in February doing what it's doing this past February. That would have been nearly impossible to predict. So that kind of thing is, is I think, kind of goes without saying for carriers to differentiate themselves and be successful. I think what is worth talking about and what is where a carrier has a, an area of direct control, even though it might be harder to measure the success, is, is forging stronger relationships with their customer. And, 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 you know, we've seen more and more carriers moving to automation and online robots and offshore centers for key customer interactions such as pricing and booking and documentation. And I think there's a place for that. But I also believe that customers do want to speak locally with knowledgeable staff on issues that are important to them. And how can they arrive at solutions that, that benefit both carrier and, and shippers and, and really have those communication links to manage forward expectations and trends. And, and, and there still is a strong need for local sales and, and local customer service. Now, automation has its place for sure but it's not yet a replacement for human interaction. And, and for carriers to be successful, they, they really have to recognize this. I think there will continue to be consolidation. There, there may be bigger ships. There could be much, much you know, more reasonable sized ships that, that, that change the way we manage things. But I think ultimately it's going to be about relationships between carriers and their customers. And, and you know, here we're, we're really building this thing around what we like to refer to as a Z, Z factor. Uh, which is really the quality in our personnel and, and their relationships that drive the organization forward and it's part of the company culture. And I think ultimately it's one that will serve differentiate our company fr from others. I've worked for a lot of companies and, 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 I, and I recognize how that spirit within the company and the relationship they have with their customers drives loyalty and, and in, a, in an industry which is so heavily commoditized as ours, what you have is you have that, that relationship. And when, 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 when pricing is equal <laughs> or, or, or largely equal, it's that relationship between customer and organization and company that's, that's, that's going to make the difference in, in my opinion. Sure. So if we talk about that relationship issue as a key differentiator uh, in, in business and a, and a driver of innovation, I mean, I've, I've had contact with you over uh, the last 10 to 15 years and seen you operate. You've got a very visionary leadership style, if I put it that way. Um, what, what do you see as the key, and I ask most of our uh, key uh, interviewees this question, what would be the snapshot, two or three things that you really look for when you've got new, you're seeking new talent to come into the organization as you're growing? What would be the two or three things that you immediately look for in uh, and new people coming in. Well, let me talk about the gap in the industry. Okay. And I'll define it through the gap in the industry. You know, I, I, I might be turning into a grumpy old man, uh, but, uh, but what, what the industry really lacks is knowledge, knowledge, and knowledge, right? I, I think that's where we've fallen down. It, you know, container shipping and shipping in general went through some really tough times, and, and one of the first things that got cut was, was, was training budgets. And, and when I first came into the, the industry, my training program was six months long. And, and you know, I know at Marisk had training programs that were, you know, three years long, right? So th this, this focus on knowledge and bringing individuals into the – uh, 
into organizations and really giving them a solid foundation in, in what it is that, that our industry is, whether it's supply chain, whether it's 3PL, whether it's forwarding, container shipping, whatever it may be, I think that it's very, very important that, that the industry provides some knowledge for, for, for these individuals. So when somebody comes into the organization and somebody applies, I'm looking for a capacity to learn and an enthusiasm to learn. Uh, we rely much more heavily now upon computer-based training, and although that's not necessarily, in my opinion, the ideal method of learning, it is what we have available to us right now. And I think we have to find individuals that are really looking for that, you know, whatever the avenue may be, they want to build their knowledge. And, and, and the reason that's so important is because when they go talk to a customer, the conversation can't be just about where do you go and how much is it? And you know, the customer wants to know that the salesperson is actually understanding their business, understands what their KPI are, understands the customer's needs. And then that salesperson or the customer service person needs to consolidate what the customer needs with what the company needs that they work for, right? And, and, and the synthesis of, of those requirements is where the real power is unlocked. And you, you can't do that unless you have knowledge and, 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 and an enthusiasm for learning learning about what the customer's business is, learning about what your own business is. I think when I interview candidates, that's what I look for is, do I see the enthusiasm and the desire to learn and the desire to ask questions? Uh, you know, one, of, one, of my, one of my key factors is not, not so much what questions an interviewee asks, but how many questions do they ask? Do they have a lot of questions? And, and what's the quality of those questions, yeah. right? Uh, you know, I, I want to know that they want to know. Yeah. Because uh, that, that says something to me. All right. Good stuff. You know, thanks for sharing that. And hopefully the audience will, will pick up some, uh, some angles off that as a, as a comparative way of looking at, uh, at candidates for sure. A yep. uh, couple of quick ones before I let you go and we wrap up. Uh, yeah. Two things. What do you see as the major disruptors currently and just moving forward over the next six to 12 months in the container shipping industry, first of all. So disruptors, where are they coming from? What are they? What sort of impact are they having? Um, you know, like it, it's, <laughs> the disruptor question is interesting. It, it's, clearly there are any number of transportation purchasing platforms, uh, transportation consolidation platforms that are, that are out there that are, that are attempting to, with, you know, in, cases, in some cases, some success, disrupt the, the predominantly the forwarding and, and 3PL type of, of, of environment. Um, I don't believe that disruptors are going to be terribly successful in penetrating the BCO type of market. I think BCOs have their transportation purchasing and logistics departments, or they have strong 3PL relationships. Uh, and I don't, I don't see them really penetrating that market. Where I do see 
the disruptors coming from in these kind of small startup forwarding guys, uh, which can bring a lot of value really is, is with the SMEs really pushing some of these paperless, you know, global shipment solutions, right? The, the electronic bills of lading and, 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 and these disruptors don't necessarily have to be utilizing the technology. They can utilize the technology of, Zimlines, for example, of, of WAVE, our electronic DL, but I think these are the folks that are going to push this technology forward with the SMEs. Mm-hmm. And, and I think clearly if, a, if an organization like an SME is willing to go to a marketplace, an, an electronic marketplace in order to purchase these type of, of, of products, then they're going to be much more open, in my opinion, to other e-commerce tools like the electronic bill of lading. Uh, so I think that is, is paramount. Uh, and I think that's where they can have a real, a real impact. Uh, I would hope that governments and port authorities begin to recognize the value of some of these products. Uh, you know, the customers are ready. The carriers are ready. We've got some disruptors with some really cool ideas coming in. Um, but until governments and, and port authorities recognize that there's a new way of doing business in town, it's going to struggle to, to, to grab a foothold. Let's be hoping that there's uh, plenty of government uh, employees and port authorities listening into this. I know a number of them are at conference, so uh, <laughs> let's hope so. Hey, uh, I know you're a busy guy, and uh, I just got a final question for you. Crystal ball time. Um, you say you've been in the supply chain, certainly in the container shipping uh, sector and the carrier sector for a long time. What's that industry going to look like in the next five to 10 years? So open floor, quick fire question. What are your, what are your views? What are the highlights of that sector going to be? What, what's going to dominate? What are the primary issues around that sector moving forward? Uh, there, there will still be ships. Okay. First and foremost, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're still going to be ships. Teleportation is not, not going to happen. I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the big change is that the administration of international shipments is going to largely move online and, 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 and will, come out of, will, will come out of this need for original documents and stamps and signatures and staples and, and, and all of that garbage, um, you know, counters documentation counters like we have today will disappear. Uh, all of this stuff will be done online and, and that will have huge savings for shipping lines. It will have huge savings for uh, customers and, and for the government authorities out there. It gives them far more access to data by which to tax. Uh, and, and, and they have access to all of this information coming in at once. So it's, it's, I think fundamentally the, the big change is going to be in, in how we manage shipments. Furthermore, with the amount of big data that's out there, and, and, and we haven't done a great job of, of managing big data, we've done a wonderful job of acquiring big data, uh, but I think the change is going to be that carriers, on the carrier side, Carriers and, and, and even 3PLs are going to be much more agile in using that data to their, to their benefit. Uh, 
Um, and, and that will, in the carrier sense, that would be managing supply versus demand and, and managing the allocation on ships and the equipment supply, where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. From a customer perspective, it's going to increase the agility of the, the supply chain. And, 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 and when we look at, you know, there are a number of customers that are, say, moving out of the manufacturing concentration hubs in China. They realize that perhaps that wasn't the great idea. And in, 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 in the case of a pandemic, it can be downright, you know, bring them to a halt. So many companies are looking to kind of move some of their manufacturing around and move away from a specific cluster area. And, and I think that's going to require an agility of their supply chain, which will rely upon the data and the reactivity of their supply chain partners, be it a 3PL, be it a carrier, whatever that may be, those partners are going to have to react very, very quickly. And that data is going to be critical to that. And so I think 3PLs and carriers are going to get much more intelligent about how they manage all the data that they acquire. So I, I, I think, you know, fundamentally, we're still going to have ships. We're going to still move things from point to well, from one point to another. We're just going to do it, I think, more intelligently. And the time on the ground of shipments will not be as a result of paperwork and the burden of administration overhead, shall we say. Yeah, good. I really appreciate you sharing those insights. And I know you're very hands-on. So, uh, you know, you're hands-on with what's going on now. So it doesn't surprise me you've got some uh, pretty clear ideas about what's going to be happening in the future, especially that there's still going to be ships. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hey, just a final question before I do let you go, since I've got you. Um, a bit more sort of umbrella or a helicopter view, not, away, not in uh, shipping or carriers. Uh, for other business leaders, uh, maybe business owners uh, who are working through the current phase at the moment, a uh, couple of quick tips from you, things for leaders to focus on for business success moving forward. What comes to the top of your mind? What comes to mind most immediately is the need for business leaders to stay in touch with what's happening with their people. Uh, it's a very uncertain time and depending upon the pervasiveness of the virus in various countries, it can set people off in really interesting and in, in, in different ways. And, and I think sometimes people need to feel that you know, things are going to be okay and, and we're going to get through this and, and they need some assurance that the business is going to continue to move forward. We're going to step up to the challenges. We're going to do it together and, and we're here to see you through that. But we also need to manage each individual differently because everybody has different needs. Yeah. Uh, we also need to then, as they say, kind of batten down the hatches on the basics of the business, ensure that our cash flow is secure, uh, ensure that our business has continuity. And, and, and much like the shipping industry did in terms of managing its, its capacity very carefully, that was, okay, let's, let's look at the perimeter and see where we have some exposure and then tighten up that perimeter. So, so, so we also have to do that. We're gonna look at the perimeter, see where we have gaps, see where we have exposure, and, and really let's focus on what's going to drive the business through in the short term so that we can come out the other side and we're healthy, we can expand, we've got cash and, and we're not strapped. And, and, and that's obviously easier said than done. Yeah. Um, and, and, and some, some industries are, are 
are impacted differently. Uh, but clearly, I think, you know, we don't have a business without people. So we got to start there. Uh, and then, you know, when we have our people taken care of at the kind of same time, then we got to look after the fundamentals of the business. Good stuff. Well, Dave, look, I really uh, do appreciate your insight and your honesty and, and sharing some of your reflections, especially around leadership and, and running businesses. Um, absolute pleasure talking to you. Wish you and, and Zim and your crew in Thailand well. Uh, hanging out to catch up for a uh, another Thai meal with you next time I'm in town when, uh, when travel's back in fashion. Um, thanks so much for sharing your time with us. Thanks so much, Kim. I really appreciate it. And thank you for our audience for joining us. And uh, by all means, uh, catch up with us on uh, Logistics Executive TV um, for further podcasts. Thanks, Dave. Catch up with you soon. Thanks so much, Kim. Bye.